Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest talks to us about the star, the word, and Jesus. We are a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Glory, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, today I'm going to give you one of those science sermons that I told you that I would do from time to time. Today we're going to talk about the star, the word, and Jesus, an apologetic look. By way of introduction this morning, as it is Christmas Eve, I thought it would be fun to take a different sort of look at the star of Bethlehem. Some of you have heard this before. You're going to just be blessed again because you're going to hear it again. But for those that haven't heard this, it's a pretty fun ride. And let me just warn you ahead of time that there is a bit of science that we're going to cover. And if the science goes over your head, just let it go over your head and trust that the Holy Spirit will give you the gist of what I'm trying to communicate to you today. Amen. When we get done, I believe you'll have a better understanding of just how wonderful a star the star of Bethlehem really was. So to set the stage, I want to talk for a few minutes about all the stars that light up the night sky. The magnificent panorama that has fascinated mankind for ages. Amen. In particular, I'd like to take a look at the patriarch Abraham, the father of our faith, and his fascination with the stars. Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 7 in the New Living Translation. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Amen. Now, in the desert night sky of Abraham's day, which you got to know had little or no light pollution, there would be anywhere from six to 8,000 stars visible to the naked eye. They would be too numerous to count. Hence the term innumerable. So God was using the stars and their vastness to illustrate to Abraham the enormity of the destiny that God was given unto him. His descendants would be too numerous to count, as innumerable as the stars. Man, I think that's cool. Especially since I just watched the most recent Star Wars movie. Amen. <laughs> Verse 6, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Amen. Not only are your descendants going to be innumerable, but you're going to fill this land with those descendants. Amen. Glory to God. Abraham came from the culture of the Chaldeans who worshiped the sun, the moon, the planets, and the stars. They believed that the moon god, Nana, was the greatest of all the gods. Now, I'm glad my grandkids are not in here because they'd be thinking I'll be talking about Nana, my wife sitting on the front row there. Not that Nana. Nana, the moon god, was the greatest of all the gods to the Chaldeans. They were skilled in astronomy, but used this knowledge primarily for the pursuit of astrology and the worship of heavenly bodies, not to pursue the one who created the heavens. Amen. 
So the Jewish historian Josephus wrote that Abraham was a gifted astronomer and mathematician. So already, when I read that, I like him better than I ever did before. Because I'm sort of an amateur astronomer, but I'm also skilled in math and the sciences as a former college professor. So Josephus says he was gifted in astronomy and mathematics. He wasn't just some country yokel like some people think. He was a smart guy. Abraham's father was a guy by the name of Terah, and he was a maker of idols. So if Abraham grew up in Ur the Chaldees and the culture was that they worshipped the planets and the stars, it seems reasonable to me that since his own father made idols and worshipped them, that Abraham grew up a pagan in a pagan city and he probably worshipped the planets, the stars, the sun, and the moon. Amen? But after a lifetime of studying the stars, remember, Abraham was 75 years old when God called him out of Ur the Chaldees, amen, and gave him this great promise. And rabbinic tradition holds that Abraham became convinced from studying the motion of the heavenly bodies that there had to be one true God who created and controlled the universe. In fact, you might find this interesting. Abraham found it interesting that the planets and the stars moved in non-precise fashion. He reasoned that if they themselves were gods, they would regulate their motion with respect to one another more precisely than it appeared it was happening. From his perspective, there was someone greater that was controlling all of them. And that's what led him to believe in the one true God who controlled all the motions of all the planets and all the stars. Amen? So he set his sights on seeking the God who controlled the universe, who was in charge of the motion of the planets and the stars. So at some point, Abraham rejected the gods of Ur and pursued the one who made it all. Amen. Hallelujah. And he began to seek him through the canvas that he was most familiar with. That is the canvas of the desert night sky. Amen. And I think that's awesome. God will use what fascinates us the most to draw us toward him. Amen. And the thing that fascinates a lot of us and a great deal of humanity is the great canvas of the stars. Amen. I think Psalm 19 verse 1 through 3 illustrates it beautifully. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Amen. What the writer of the Psalms is saying is that heavens in their glory, in their beauty, in their vastness, in their seeming infinity, speak of an infinite God, a glorious and majestic and powerful God. In fact, I think the heavens are speaking this. I am that I am. And everything you see was made by me. Amen. And there's not a country or a person, or a nation, or a language, or a culture that does not understand that language. Amen? I think when you look at the stars at night, there's something on the inside that tells you this was no accident. Someone made this. 
Only the most hard-hearted individual will press down the knowledge that is so obvious. Romans chapter 1 says, Everything that can be known or discerned about the living God can be discerned by the things that He made. That's especially true of the stars. I mean, the first time I looked at a brilliant night sky when I was a young boy, I knew that somebody made those stars. They were not an accident. They weren't just flung there by random processes. They were put there by God. And the Bible says he not only put the stars in place, but he named every single one of them. Amen. Let me diverge there for just a second, since this is science day. The visible universe, that is the universe that we can see with the naked eye and with the help of technology, is uh, about 100 billion galaxies, and each of those 100 billion galaxies contains an average of about 100 billion stars. So to get the number of stars in the visible universe, that which we can see, it's 100 billion times 100 billion, which is a number that is quite large. That's a lot of zeros. In fact, in scientific notation, it is 1 times 10 to the 22nd. That's how many stars are in the visible universe. And God named every single one of them. He's got names for every one of them. Just think about that. And I bet you he's got more imagination than Alpha 1, Alpha 2, Alpha 3. <laughs> Bravo 2, Bravo 3, you know. I guarantee you he's got a unique name that suits that star for every single one. Amen. Hallelujah. This is how my mind works. Welcome to it. Amen. <laughs> so let's talk about the Magi and the star of Bethlehem. There has literally been thousands of years of speculation and discussion about this topic. So was the star of Bethlehem a divinely orchestrated astronomical event was it a convergence of planets and stars moving in and out of well-known constellations letting us know where and when the king of kings was about to be born was it a comet that appeared suddenly in the night sky that somehow guided the magi to the house where the young child jesus was staying was it a natural event or was it a supernatural event or was it a bit of both well, I've spent a lot of time studying and meditating on this, and I have come to the conclusion that both are true. Hence, I come at this from a completely different angle. Amen? I asked the question, what if the star in Matthew chapter 2 wasn't a star at all or any other natural occurring phenomenon that we would be familiar with? So let's read through the first 12 verses of Matthew 2 and see what we can find out. I like to use the Bible as my base reference, you know, because I believe the Bible. I'm not going to go to science and then bring the Bible in to verify science. I'm going to the Bible as my base reference, and then I go and take a look and see what science has to say, and I bring it in to augment what I know is true, that is the Word of God. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. The wise men are also in some translations referred to as the Magi. So the Magi came from ancient Persia and Babylonia, near as we can tell. 
which were steeped in the same Chaldean culture we just talked about that dated back to the days of Abraham and even the ages before. While most used this knowledge in the pursuit of astrology, there were some, it seems, that used it to seek their creator. And this group of magi were in that company. Verse 2 says, They said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now there's so much here that most people overlook. First of all, many translations say, We have seen his star rising in the east. But none of the literal translations render it that way. They simply say, We have seen his star in the east. Furthermore, the word that is translated as in is a primary preposition denoting a fixed position in place, time, or state. So it could be read like this. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star fixed in the east, and we are come to worship him. Amen? During their observations of the heavens, the Magi noticed a very unusual star, a star that suddenly appeared, and a star that was not moving across the heavens as the rest of them were. Now, let me remind you, because of the rotation of the earth, the moon, the planets, the stars, and the constellations appear to track across the night sky, rising in the east and setting in the west. And all of the explanations that limit themselves to naturally occurring astronomical sightings must keep in mind that they appear to rise in the east and set in the west. And while I certainly believe that such things did occur, There was a lot happening in the constellations. There was a lot happening with converging planets and the star Regulus. There was a lot going on. And I believe that was additional confirmation that a king was coming. A king was going to be born. But I believe it was just part of the story. There's a supernatural element that I think goes beyond normally occurring astronomical events. I believe it was the very fact that the star they saw remained fixed in the sky that got their attention. It did not rise in the east and set in the west, but suddenly appeared in the sky and remained fixed from their perspective. And the only other star that they knew about that did that was Polaris. We know it as the North Star. Consequently, it got their attention. Now, just to let you know, here's why the North Star does not move across the sky at night. Because it's aligned with our north-south axis, which is the center of our rotation. So it's natural that that star will not move because it's fixed in a sense. So here we have a second star that's not moving. And they're wondering, first of all, it appeared out of nowhere. And now it's not moving. So it got their attention. Amen. Hallelujah. The next thing that's curious about verse 2 is the Magi refer to this suddenly appearing star As his star. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. They made a connection. This star is connected to the king of the Jews. They somehow knew when that star appeared, the king of the Jews was about to be born. Now, how they knew that is a bit of a mystery. We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. How they knew to look for this star and how they knew it was his star is a bit of a mystery. I can say this. 
if they had access to the book of Daniel, if you know your Bible history, Daniel presided over the Magi of both Babylonian and Persian kings. All they needed to do was study the 70 weeks prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9 to identify the general time frame of the birth of the Messiah. That's all they had to do. He says, after 69 weeks of years from the going forth of a proclamation to return the Jews to their land, Messiah will come and he'll be cut off. So somebody that was at least familiar with Jewish culture would know that uh, this king would probably not start his reign or his ministry until he was age 30. Probably shortly thereafter, he was cut off. So we can come back about 32 years and we can be within a year or two of the general time frame of the birth of this king, and we can start looking for this star. Now, again, I do not know how they knew to start looking for the star, but I do think I know how they knew the time frame to start looking for the star. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So the Magi knew about when he was going to be born and what the sign would be that he would be born, but they didn't know where he would be born. Hence, this star appears over the city of Jerusalem to guide them to the city. Amen. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, where Christ should be born. That's the only part of the equation they didn't have. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Here's your proof text that this star appeared suddenly verse 8 and he sent them to Bethlehem and said go and search diligently for the young child and when you have found him bring me word again that I may come and worship him also when they had heard the king they departed and lo the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceeding great joy And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So let me return to the question I asked earlier. What if the star in Matthew chapter two wasn't a star at all or any other naturally occurring phenomena? we would be familiar with. With that as my premise, with that as my premise, here's how I'm going to stop because I'm so excited. My mind is going faster than my lips. With that as my premise, I'll do it in James Kirk speak. With that as my premise, here's how I lay it out. In my book. (laughs) Reflections of space and time. Finding God and finding direction in life. Available at Amazon and other digital outlets. 
For the star that they saw to appear fixed or motionless in the sky, stay with me, it actually had to be moving in such a way that it matched the rotational velocity of the earth, where it was fixed. And that was the 32nd north latitude line, which runs right through Jerusalem. Okay, everybody get that. So here's a few calculations I made. I estimated the distance traveled by the Magi to be about 1,200 miles. Where did I get that? Well, if you travel due east from Jerusalem for a distance of 1,200 miles, it places you in the central part of what used to be ancient Persia, now modern-day Iran. I'll spare you the details, but I found that for an object to remain fixed above the city of Jerusalem from 1,200 miles to the east, it would have to be traveling at about 900 miles per hour at an altitude of about 125 miles above a point on the 32-degree north latitude line. But 900 miles an hour, it turns out, is far too slow to maintain any kind of orbit at an altitude of 125 miles. When the space shuttle flew, it had to go 17,500 miles an hour to maintain an orbit of 125 miles. So you can see that 900 is far too slow. And that thing would decay in its orbit and burn up in the atmosphere if it was a man-made object. Furthermore, natural and man-made objects orbit the Earth around its center of mass, not around the 32nd parallel. Can you picture that? So that's kind of squirrely right off the bat. This thing's moving right along the 32nd parallel at 900 miles an hour at least to begin with, to keep it above the horizon from 1,200 miles to the east over the city of Jerusalem. Everybody with me? All right. As the Magi got closer and closer to Jerusalem, the object would have to gradually fly lower and slower over the 32nd parallel to remain just above the horizon and serve as a means of navigation. Once the Magi reached Jerusalem, the object would have to come to a halt and hover at an altitude that would clearly place it above the city so they knew that that was their destination. Why did the star lead them to Jerusalem? Because all they had was astronomical knowledge. They needed a little bit more if they were going to find out where Messiah was to be born. And to do that, they had to go to the Word of God. Amen. We'll get to that in a minute about the Word of God. So why did I do all these calculations? To show that there's no way that this object could behave the way that it did if it were a naturally occurring phenomena. It had to be of supernatural origin. Many times in Scripture, the word stars is used to signify angels. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, for example, says that Satan drew a third of the stars with him in his rebellion against God, and they were cast down to the earth. I believe the star of Bethlehem was an angel of the Lord, perhaps even the angel of the Lord, who shined with such glory that he appeared to be a star in the heavens. Now, in verse 9, it states that the Magi were told by Herod's men that the king they sought was to be born in Bethlehem. Where did they find that out? In the Holy Scriptures, amen. So get the progression here. The Magi were led by the stars to Jerusalem, but they were led from Jerusalem to Bethlehem by the word of God. Amen. Then the star went before them and led them five miles south to Bethlehem until it stood over the place where the young child was. 
I submit to you that stars simply do not move in that way, nor do they stand over a particular spot. And if they did stand over a particular spot, how could you tell you were underneath a star that's possibly millions of light years away? Unless I think you need to come this way just a couple of inches. Back, back it up. There you go. Right there. No, it's just not practical. It had to be an angel moving and taking them to the exact spot and standing over the house. I believe the angel that led them to Bethlehem must have shined a beacon unto the house where Jesus was located. And only those, listen to me, and only those who were truly seeking the Lord could see this beacon. Now, this is my speculation. Why? Because if there were a beacon that was visible to everybody, then surely Herod and his men would have seen it and been able to find that house and come and try to slay the Christ child. Amen? So I submit to you that those who truly seek Jesus will find him. This is the whole point that I'm getting to. This is what I learned from the star of Bethlehem. There's a progression. Notice the progression went something like this. Fascination with the stars. Trek to Jerusalem. Finding the word of God. Then finding Jesus. Notice, in the case of Abraham and in the case of the Magi, both came from heathen cultures that worshipped many gods. But God used the stars to speak to Abraham because there was no word of God in existence at the time. At the time of the Magi, the 39 books of the Old Testament as we know them today were in existence and accepted as the word of God by the Jews. So God first led them by the star to Jerusalem, but then he led them to the word of God once they were in Jerusalem. Amen. After receiving the word, they were led to Jesus in Bethlehem and they worshiped him as the son of the living God. Amen. Again, I say that is the progression of unbelievers that are raised in cultures that never heard of Jesus, that never saw or read a Bible. God will still speak to them with the tools that he has at his disposal. He'll use creation, especially the night sky. Is there any more magnificent way to convince somebody that there is a God than to say, just look at those stars and tell me we're here by accident? You know better. In your heart of hearts, you know there is a God. And he wants you to seek him. Once you seek the one who made the stars, then he'll find a way to get you to the word. And once you find the word, It's a matter of time before you meet Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. I get excited about this. Hallelujah. So I've already answered the question, but I'm going to ask it again. What about people who grew up in cultures who don't have the word of God or have never heard of Jesus? The answer is God will find a way to reveal himself to them. He will find a way to reveal himself to those who are Truly seeking Him. No matter what country, what culture, what language, or what religion, He will find a way. If you begin to seek Him, He will come to you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God will find a way. Look at the extraordinary lengths He went to to bring these magi to the feet of Jesus. Amazing. If God would go to those lengths to get those guys saved, 
How much more will he go to great lengths today in this day and age to get people saved, accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to go ahead and share this because this is a practical example of a person that I know. And I say I know them. I met them. My wife and I met a man. His name was Brother James. Brother James was a pastor who oversaw about a thousand churches in India. We met him at a pastor's conference in 1996. And he shared his testimony. And I'll, I'll give you as much as I can remember. And forgive me, Brother James, if you hear this and I get any of the details wrong. Okay. But I think I got the gist of it. He shared that he grew up Muslim in India. Now, there's a sizable Muslim population in India. Uh, he was not allowed to learn to read or write or any school learning at all because he was going to be a slave. And he became discontent with the Muslim religion and began to go into the jungle at night under the night sky and look at the stars. And he would say, Lord, I'm talking to the one who made all of this. If you really exist, reveal yourself to me. And he did this for I don't know how long he did this. But one day, one night, when he went into the jungle, he said, Jesus Christ, the living God, appeared to me. And he told me that he was my Messiah, my Savior. And I needed to go and read the word of God to learn more about him. Isn't that interesting that even in a vision, Jesus is saying, go to the word to learn about me. I think that's cool. So, Brother James says to Jesus, oh, Jesus, that is wonderful. I would love to do that. But, you know, I do not know how to read. I cannot read. I cannot write. The Lord said, well, meet me here in the jungle every day at, like, some appointed time. And we'll spend a couple hours together. And I will teach you to read in your native language. So, Jesus, over a period of time, taught Brother James to read in his language so that he could go get a Bible and read more about Jesus. Is it any wonder he's overseeing a thousand churches? Now, that was 20 years ago. Who knows what he's doing today? I think at that time, that was 1996, he had raised 25 people from the dead in the nation of India. Again, there's a real-life example of what we've been talking about. I mean, Abraham and the Magi were real life, but a current real-life example. He was fascinated with the stars. He wanted to meet the one who made the stars. Jesus appears to him. God will find a way to reveal himself to those who are truly seeking him with all of their heart. Amen. Jesus cut to the chase. You want to know me? Here I am. You want to know more about me? Read my word. And if you can't read, I'll teach you. Again, the Lord will go to extraordinary lengths to meet the needs of those that are truly seeking him. Amen. So the next time your friends ask you, your unsaved friends, they ask you, well, what about people in those cultures who never heard of Jesus, never read a Bible, don't know anything about Jesus? What about them? All you have to say is, listen, I don't have all the answers, but this much I know. If someone is truly seeking the Lord, God will find a way to reveal himself to them. And lead them to the word and then lead them to Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
We hope you enjoyed today's message on The Star, The Word, and Jesus. If you would like to hear more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. We believe.